welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Sam Rayner. Sam serves as president of Church Answers and is co-founder of Rayner Publishing. He's also lead pastor at West Brannington Baptist Church in Brannington, Florida. Sam writes, teaches, speaks, and consults on a variety of church health issues. He's also the author of several books with his latest entitled, the Church Revitalization Checklist. But before we hear from Sam, let's go to our host, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of Wheaton College, Billy Graham Center, and drinker of Arizona tea at Stetzer. I do love my Arizona tea. I do love it. So, um, but, you know, most people, they listen to podcasts. They don't listen to videos, so they don't see this 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 scrumptious can of Arizona <laughs> tea. We should get, like, like some sort of endorsement deal or something like that. But anyway, hey, it's uh, it's good to have this conversation. I've known Sam for a long, long, long time. Um, and just to see how the Lord has used him, and he's really kind of moved into this church revitalization space, which has been uh, pretty neat. And and now his new book is just brand new out, right? So it's, it's a new year, new book, and some really new questions. Because uh, partly the, the the I think what's helpful about this book is this book is not like unaware that we're in the midst of a uh, coming out of uh, hopefully a pandemic. And um, and so that's going to be part of the, what we're going to talk about today. So, Sam, let's start just right with you. Many churches are struggling to stay afloat. It's been quite a year. It's not just the pandemic. It's a, it's been a pandemic of conflict, a pandemic of division. People have been yelled at because they're they they said to do this, and people were mad at mask conversations and meeting conversations, and then all this stuff's going on um, in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the pandemic. Why is the movement to pursue revitalization and growth important? Well, that's because most of the churches that are out there need revitalization. So somebody's going to have to do this. Uh, depending on who's counting and how, uh, somewhere around 80 to 90% of churches will claim that they need some form of revitalization. So if you're talking about the established church, which is the majority of churches, at least in North America, most of them need revitalization. So who's going to go do this? How are we going to help them out? We don't want all of these doors to close, and we don't want all of these little kingdom outposts to go away. So this is one of the biggest needs uh, in the North American church right now. Yeah. And and I think when we look um, globally, similar story. Um, and I think we, we've never had, people point out that, you know, we've been through pandemics before, but never in the history of the world has the world shut down for a pandemic. Now, some of that's fallen, you know, in, in the Middle Ages, people knew, a thousand years ago, people didn't know what a virus was, but they knew if I get near you and you're sick, I get sick. So there was some actions that they took, but there's some unique challenges that we're facing right now as well. So I guess one of the first questions I want to ask is, everyone's church seems to have declined some. I mean, we're all, the conversation is, what percentage are you back? Is that sort of in the conversation of revitalization, or do we think in like, Pre-COVID versus post-COVID, what what are we even thinking about with a declining church? Because I think every church I'm serving at right now has declined over 2019 in attendance, so they're giving and servings up. Yes. Um, from what we've seen at Church Answers, if you're talking about giving, about two-thirds of churches on average seem to be doing okay financially, or at least similar to where they were before the pandemic. Um, another third are struggling. At the same time, uh, just about every church is smaller. And 
you can't, if you're talking about this phenomenon that we're all experiencing of, of just being a smaller church, I think the answer is not to look so much at uh, attendance as just a, 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 a lag metric, but more to think about your lead metrics. Now, what can you do in order to increase your attendance? And there's a few things to do. I mean, you can increase attendance frequency of those who are currently connected to your church and you can go reach new people. So I think the 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 metric of worship attendance has been something that has been followed for quite some time. Really since the church growth movement, it's kind of been the metric of success. Uh, I don't know that it's been all so bad that that's been the metric of success, but it's not really the metric that needs to be the most important thing right now. I think the 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 most important metric is what are you doing to move outward as a church? What are you doing to get into the neighborhood? What are you doing to reconnect with people who aren't attending as frequently as they need to connect? So it's more the lead metrics that I'm concerned about. How many phone calls are you making a week? Yeah. Uh, how, how many times have you shared your faith this week? Uh, how many times have you uh, challenged people in your church to get involved in a group so that they're better connected. So it's it's more about the things that lead to the attendance that are more important than the attendance itself. You mentioned church growth, and I think a lot of pastors, you know, they're wanting to see that graph go, you know, up and to the right. Um, but when that, you know, the, the church attendance begins to, to wane and the graph is kind of changing, uh, sometimes panic kind of sets in and it, it can happen at times. Like, what are some of the common mistakes that leaders make when church attendance is declining, you think? Um, getting angry, uh, getting frustrated, <laughs> not, uh, not, uh, not responding appropriately to people. Uh, those are all things that maybe I just struggle with. I, I don't know. Um, panic might be too strong a term, uh, but there are certainly, I, I think of it like this, uh, churches are hanging on by, a lot of churches are hanging on by their fingernails, but they're very strong fingernails. Um, so, you know, every week can feel like for a lot of, a lot of churches, like, is this going to be the last week? And yet year after year, <laughs> decade after decade, it's like every week we felt like it was the last week. And yet here we are 10 years later. Um, so churches are simultaneous. And this is something I talk about in the book. That churches are simultaneously fragile and resilient. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say the best thing to do is not to panic. Um, ask yourself, what's low-hanging fruit? I know that's a cliche, but what can I do to get people excited? One of my favorite questions to ask churches, people in churches, is what gets you most excited about your church? What, what, do you, what gets you fired up about your church? And if you've got some themes there with your people of, hey, this is what gets us fired up, this is what gets us excited, play into that. Uh, pick one thing for the next six months. Pick one thing and focus on that and do that well and try to uh, try to get your people rallied around that one thing. The more that you can be unified uh, about pushing outward in some way, the better your church is going to be. I like it. Well, let's talk some about your checklist idea. Now, that's a big part of the theme of the whole book. Let me mention the book again. The book is called The Church Revitalization Checklist. It's out right now, um, brand new, and you can pick it up. Uh, again, it's it's walk through some of the pandemic time. It's not like, it feels like everything that was written in 2017, and I wrote those books in 2017, has to take into some new conversations, but you have the Church of Isolation Checklist, a hopeful and practical guide for leading your congregation to a brighter tomorrow. It's from Church Answers Resource. That's a wonderful partnership with Tyndale. Uh, and, and so my question then becomes is, tell us about the checklist and what are some of those steps on the checklist that are essential to a church experiencing revitalization? Yeah, I wanted to combine two themes with the book, the theme of hope and optimism and the theme of a checklist. And the Checklist Manifesto is a book that has um, influenced me 
quite a bit. So I, and I reference this in the book. I, I want to make sure that um, the audience knows that this idea of a checklist is not novel to me, of course. There have been people who have written about it and written about it well. I wanted to take this concept and apply it to the church and do so in a hopeful way. So, you know, I, you, know you read books like, you know, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and they're, they're kind of negative. Um, just my dad wrote that one, so I'm allowed yes, to Yes, I want to just point out that that was your dad yeah. who's, oh, who's oh, saying oh, is very negative. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> and, and understand, there are a lot of good books out there that properly assess how bad the church is right now. And for the most part, they're right. Like, churches just aren't healthy. And I've read these books, and they've added value to the kingdom, and I think that I'm glad that they were written. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to write another book like that. I'm going to write a book that says, we can do this. I'm going to write a book that says, let's be hopeful. I'm going to write a book that says, let's be optimistic. Because you can't be a leader and be pessimistic. By, by hmm. definition, pessimism is not leadership. Because the point of leadership is to take people to a better place. And so in order to be a leader, you at least have to be somewhat hopeful. And I believe for churches and for us who are believers, that needs to be rooted in what the gospel is. And if you're rooted in the gospel, then goodness, you're going to be the most hopeful, optimistic person that's out there because Christ wins and victory comes. So I wanted to write a book that had a hopeful outlook for the church, that encouraged people. Uh, and at the same time, I wanted to provide a method that helped pastors understand, oh, what do I do? Okay, I, I got hope. I'm encouraged. What do I do? And so we created a, a checklist system uh, that you keep in front of you at all times. And, you know, there's uh, several P's in the book, and I've used some alliteration, uh, several P's that help you walk through this checklist, things like priorities and pace and perspective and people and place and purpose and pathway. Um, just, to, just to get people thinking, okay, you walk into a meeting, what am I doing here? When, when, you, when you sit down and try to strategize for your church, okay, how do I do this? Um, it's, a, it's a book that kind of walks you through all of that. And, you know, maybe this example is a bit tired and uh, it's been said many times, but surgeons have a checklist. Pilots have a checklist. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, but they still walk through the checklist just to make sure that they, they don't forget something, that it doesn't become so routine that something gets missed. Well, most pastors, they, they know what they're doing. They just need a checklist to help remind them of the things that are most important to stay focused, to stay focused on. And that, that's why I wrote the book. It's hopeful and it provides a checklist to kind of keep you focused on what you need to do. Yeah, want to come back to that. Uh, but yeah, I, I know a lot of the book uh, was was research uh, on uh, churches and, and, and a survey and interviews that you all did. Uh, but I like that to ask you, Sam, like your personal experience with revitalization and some of these things that you've seen in your own church that you're leading right now. Can you talk about that, especially over the last two years? What are some of the things that you've had to do to, again, put in front of your people again a vision for how to move forward and grow as a church? Yeah. yeah. How long is this podcast? Because, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get <laughs> the short answer. As long as you—we got Sam Rayner. Yeah, that's as right. long as that's Sam right. Rayner wants. But tell us just a little bit of it. Oh, okay. So, I mean, goodness, my first church had six people, no air conditioning, and they'd just gotten rid of the outhouse. So, you know, what <laughs> What do you do with that? In a rural dying community, by dying, I don't mean the people were bad. I just mean that it was drying up. There's one. So, you know, that, you know, that you have those situations. I've been there. I've been a bivocational pastor, just like 
well, we need air conditioning. <laughs> it's just like basic necessity. We need a toilet. Um, so there's that level of revitalization, which a lot of people are in, believe it or not. There's still a lot of people mm-hmm. like I got 10 people, I got 12 people, and I'm just figuring out how to make it work. And those are those are actually when those turn around, those are wonderful stories. Um, but when I came to West Bradenton specifically, uh, yeah, the, the number one rule of revitalization is never tell your church that you're revitalizing them. Because no, you know, churches don't like to admit, you know, we 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 need revitalization. Although we are seeing some, as a result of what we've been through the last couple of years, kind of come to that re- realization and know that they need it. But um, when I got to West Bradenton, you know, I didn't stand in front of everybody and say, "You guys have, are stuck. You haven't been doing what the right thing for you." You know, they're all they're all listening to this podcast right now, though. So you're kind of giving it away. <laughs> You've lost the sur- element of surprise because they're all they all listen to the Ed Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. I am in my so. seventh year, and at this point, okay. at this point, most people have figured me out. <laughs> the words out. <laughs> the, the words word is, out. Okay. So, but, I, is, but but it was good though. I like I really like what you're saying though. So not saying there's something wrong, it broke, we got to fix it, but beginning the process. Yeah, because there was a lot of great things happening at my church. It wasn't all bad. In fact, most of it was good. And I think that's a lot of churches that it's not all bad. There's some good there. And let's focus on the things that we know we can do. I mean, we had pink carpet. We had giant brass chandeliers. We had the original 1960s chairs with the springs in them on our third floor in our education building, and they hurt. Wow. They hurt when you sat down on them. We had a <laughs> closet full of dusty puppets. We had, I mean, you name it with the facilities. We 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 had we had four five million dollars worth of deferred maintenance on our campus that just had to be done. On top of that, our groups, we had we had good teachers, but we hadn't had groups leadership in 25 years. There hadn't been somebody overseeing groups in 25 years. And, you know, so I pulled my team together when I when I got there. I had one extra person. I had one extra person uh, when I had my first staff meeting. And uh, I didn't know who he was. And I you know, went around the room and everyone introduced themselves. And I got to this extra, a, a certain number of staff people, and I had an extra one in the room. And it's like, well, who are you? He's like, I'm Tim. I said, Tim, what do you do? I'm the janitor. All right, Tim, you're doing groups. So um, Tim's now the executive pastor, believe it or not. So, I mean, hmm. revitalization is, it, it, it's scrappy. It's, let's work on what we can work on. It's, all right, we got these people. Let's get them energized. You know, I'm very hopeful for a lot of churches because there's a lot of churches with pink carpet and dusty puppet closets. And, you know, they're, they've just been stuck and they haven't been doing the things that they need to do. Um, but they can, and the people can. And where where we are now, uh, because our people have really rallied, and I'm so proud of what they've done. I mean, we've got another campus. We adopted a church that was down to 12 people. We've got two services now and two languages there. Um, we're doing neighborhood ministry. We we you know we've served addicts. Um, we do that on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, we have a whole movement of fostering children in our church. We'll have 20 foster kids in our church at any given time. I mean. There's been so many good things that have happened just because we said, all right, guys, what are you called to do? What are you called to do? And we've become a neighborhood church for the nations. That's the vision. That's who we are, a neighborhood church for the nations. And, you know, I'm sure if you talk to my people, they could also point out a lot of failures and a lot of things that I did wrong. But in spite of my own, you know, mess that I've created for myself, God worked 
and good things have happened. And we have not arrived. If you came to our church, if I hired Ed Stetzer, Dr. Ed Stetzer to come to my church Youth pastor. And, Youth pastor. and be and be a consultant, he would point out a hundred things that are wrong and he'd be right about all of them. But we're moving forward. We got we got two baptisms on Sunday because uh, two students accepted Christ uh, recently, mm. and uh, we're seeing God work. And I would just encourage anybody, like any step forward is a, is a, is good movement. Any step forward is good movement. So just take that step forward. So uh, I'm a church planner, and I had a revitalizer say to me that church planning is for wimps. It is. I read the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's so uh, it's, talk about that, Sam. Like the difference between. Maybe somebody who is a longstanding pastor of a church that needs revitalization versus somebody who's coming into to do a revitalization. What would you say are the differences, things to look out for if you're not the pastor who is the longstanding pastor? Okay, but you, there's some fun facts that you didn't even know. So Sam, church revitalization mm-hmm. guy, I've planted a church with Sam's brother. Oh, wow. Did you not know that? There you go. Well, yeah, because you're, wow. you're yeah. setting me up to say church planters are wimps because that's my little brother. Yeah, that's I fair. Mean, you're that's setting fair. the question so, so up. Just to so say, they... other than other than your little brother, are church planners wimps? No. Okay. Well. Okay. Now. Okay. Now. Now. That's a better question. Yeah. Um, let's see. That's why. That's why. That's why okay. we work together. Yeah, like a team. Qualified. Because yeah, it was like kind of a softball question, but you didn't know, and I'm like, I, yeah. I might. I, I, I didn't let him know. I might have to. Yeah, they're yeah. wimps because my brother's. I didn't one, realize but... it was a sibling robbery. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's the thing. We're at. I got. I got a lot of Rainer in my life. A lot of Rainer in my story. Yeah. You have too much. You have too much. I worked for Tom Rainer twice. Planted a church with Jess Rayner, friends of 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 this Rayner, and know the other Rayner. Mm-hmm. Not as much as I know <laughs> Sam, but I preach for I preach for Sam at a church he was going through revitalization with. But anyway, yeah, that was a different church. That was a whole yep, that different was a whole church. case. Um, yep. Yeah, no, church planting is we plant churches. We're actually planting a church just south of us in Sarasota. Um, we're starting that process. We've planted this. This will be our fourth church that we've planted in the area. Um, so. Uh, this is this is the neat thing about established churches. Um, there is a level of stability. So we have a campus, we have a facility, we have people that show up regularly, we have a budget. Um, now we're stuck, but but the good thing is is there's some stability. Church planting is more chaos, you, but you get to create things in the chaos. So I, I don't know that one is harder than the other. Uh, we need both. Uh, goodness, that's the right answer, right? It's a both end strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I will say one of the major differences between um, you know church planting and revitalization is uh, the church planter can really thrive in the area of creativity and vision, and the revitalizer needs a little more political shrewdness um, mm. to to uh, operate in a system that's been there for a hundred years. And so it does take a little different kind of personality. Um, you know, I'm, I, I call myself an entrepreneur because I do some stuff outside of the church. I don't know how good I am at it, but I, I try. Um, and that takes a certain personality, a little different than, say, going into an institution and leading an institution. Um, and it, it kind of works that way with the established church. The established church is in and of itself an institution. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think institutions can produce a lot of good things. Um, can fund a lot of good things, but you have to have a level of shrewdness to operate in an established church that isn't as necessary in a church plant. And the church plant, the the planter can really 
thrive on that creativity and vision in different ways than, say, a, an established church person can. When I came in and cast the vision of being a neighborhood church for the nations, and I thought that was pretty stellar myself. You know, like we're a neighborhood church for the nations. Everyone was like, "Oh, okay, sounds nice." That's something because they've 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 all heard like they've had how many pastors now, and they've all heard different visions from all these pastors, and it's just another one. Um, so you don't lead from a place of vision uh, at an established church as you do strategy. Strategy becomes a lot more important at an established church because everyone's heard a new vision over and over again. Yeah, I do wonder. You know, you mentioned you've been there seven years. Um, the revitalization seems, you know, there's kind of there's sometimes like the spurt at the beginning where it's like, oh, some new people, new pastor, let's check out the new pastor. But revitalization has a longevity to it that I've never planted a church that I stayed in more than four years. So, mm -hmm. uh, but revitalization, you're probably seeing fruit now at seven years that you didn't see at four years, or you didn't see at two years. So, where does, where, what's your advice to the church revitalization pastor regarding longevity? Can you revitalize a church in a short amount of time? Yes, you can. It is theoretically possible. It is not how you need to lead. It can't be, because our church was started in the 1950s. We've been at our current location since the early 60s, and you know we have five generations in our church. So trying to get people to move quickly just isn't going to happen. Um, you have to. You have to lead through more if you have the luxury of incremental change um that's probably the better posture um as a leader of an established church and and trying to to make change when it comes to things that need to be done and a lot of established churches have multiple problems so you know it's like the even <laughs> what's funny is um you know every uh when you come into the church everyone's like oh we're ready we're ready. New pastor, everyone's ready. There's all sorts of theories, leadership theories that I won't bore your listeners with about projection and how everyone views you as the new guy through the lens of somebody else. They think you're somebody else until they get to know you and then they don't like you hmm. because you're disappointing hmm. them because inevitably you're your own person and you're not that you're not like that former pastor that they they thought you might be. And so your first year is literally everyone viewing you through the lens of somebody else. Um, and that's hard. That's hard. Um, but but I'll say incremental change is good. Um, I'll say, you know, getting people excited about the same thing is good. And just knowing that going in and and working through those step-by-step -step process, it does take time. And perseverance is absolutely necessary in a revitalization because inevitably people are going to leave. They're going to figure, figure you out. Inevitably, you're going to have a crisis at some point because you actually changed something um, and there's going to be people there that have a lot more leverage than you, especially if you're a younger person, you know, right. you're going to have that, the matriarchs and the patriarchs that are there. And if, if they don't like what you're doing, you're going to have a hard road. Are you still a younger person? I'm not sure. Do we I'm for, listen? That? Okay. So I'm 41, Ed, um, younger me younger now, believe it or not, I remember I, you just say that cause you're that's right. Yeah. Sorry. I remember one of you, was it in San Antonio where you made an age joke many, many years ago about At the SBC? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where you were, you were saying like. You guys think I'm young and I'm 40 or something like that. I'm I'm yeah, that age. Yeah. I'm that age. This is now. the only place I said the convention is the only place where I feel young and thin, and <laughs> uh, and I did say that in front of 10,000 people. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Uh, but you're right. Okay, so help me to because I mean you've been doing this your seven years at, at Bradenton, you know incremental change, right? And that's the way I think of you. I think of you that sort of steady leader of incremental change. I think of you in so many ways as an archetypical 
sort of this is what a revitalization leader would look like. That's why I wanted to have you on the program to talk about. Again, the book is The Church Revitalization Checklist, A Hopeful and Practical Guide for Leading Your Congregation to a Brighter Tomorrow. Um, and it's, by the way, it's this new partnership with Church Answers, which is, you know, Sam's involved in that, Tom Rayner, with Tyndale Momentum, which right here in Wheaton. So we're excited about this partnership. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't say enough good about Tyndale, man. Yeah. They, they've been awesome. We're, we're publishing these books together and they've just been incredible partners. So yeah, I, 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 uh, I got to give a thank you for promoting the book, but I also got to give a yeah. shout out to Tyndale. Yeah, no, they're awesome. They're awesome. And they, I'll tell you a funny story, a funny Tyndale story, 2016, they said, uh, to me, hey, why don't you write a book on outrage? I was like, well, the election's passed. People are going to be outraged. It's going to take a year to write a book, a year to get it through publishing. I said, by 2018, I don't know if people are still going to be outraged. It's a good thing I listened to Tyndale. But that's another <laughs> story for another day because everyone was outraged. All right, so so I want you to think with us, though. We got the church violation checklist. I love the idea of a checklist. I have a checklist like every day. I got a to-do list, a checklist. I have regular checklists with my team. Here's the process to go through like you talked about. And then there's a black swan event, and a black mm -hmm. swan event, people want to Google it, is something that nobody expected, nobody saw coming, and that's COVID, right? That's a black swan event. Um, so, and But you wrote this during this time. I did. So I want you to reflect on it two ways. Tell me what it did to your church revitalization plans at West Bradenton, which I recognize in Florida, you guys kind of skipped the pandemic, and you know, like unlike in Illinois where we... You guys are, you know, hugging each other and coughing on each other, or whatever. But it did have an impact in churches all around Florida. You know, I'm, I'm, I just preached down at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Um, it's impacted them, right? Even though Florida is a very open state. So my big question is: first, how did it impact your revitalization plans? And then, what advice would you give about revitalization in light of what we've gone through the last two years? Yeah. Well, what COVID did was it accelerated and exacerbated any problems you had. Um, or accelerated and exacerbated uh, any plans you had. Um, so, and by the way, it, you're you're right. I mean, the, I get the joke about Florida, and it's it's well deserved. However, whatever you think, it's well deserved. Um, but we did at one point have um, about 200, 250 people in our church that had COVID all at the same time. The Delta variant. Wow. Yeah. The, wow. The, the Delta wow. variant hit pretty That's hard crazy. In, in our area. Yeah. Um. And you know that Sunday was a rather strange Sunday. We're like, where, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's <laughs> we crazy. They, yeah. We know where they went. So COVID we, did go to Florida. We just mm -hmm. didn't hear about it. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it it, yeah. it did hit us hard. And you know, we and I. There's been some people that have had some very serious losses through COVID. So yeah, for um, sure. I, I just want to point that out. I don't want to make light of that. But we did have to lead totally. through it. I mean, we 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 did yeah. have to push through. Um. So. What's what what's different? Well, everything's been accelerated. Everything's been exacerbated. Uh, but at the same time, your people are more flexible than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. You know, they 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 may not accept every bit of change that you want to implement, but you do have an opportunity now to move in ways that you didn't before. And people are a little more forgiving and they're a little more flexible. And that's that's a sliding scale, of course, depending on the church. But I see this more as an opportunity. There are always black swan events. 9-11, um, you know, the, the civil rights movement, probably not a black swan event, but, you know, it was, it was a big thing. Um, you, you had, obviously, the pandemic 100 years ago. You, you had the invention of the internet. I mean, these, everything is different has always been the case. Like, there's always these moments in world history where everything is different now. Um, 
that's always been the case. And we're just in another one of those. Um, we, we were kind of having these same conversations post 9-11 for some different reasons, but some of the same conversations. Now, I don't think 9-11 impacted the church as negatively as, say, COVID did. But, but still, everything is different has always been the case. And you, you have these culture-shifting moments that happen, and you have to lead without ignoring them. You have to lead recognizing the fact that this has changed society. In the case of COVID, things are accelerated, things are exacerbated. The things that were going to be there five years from now are already here, whatever they were. And you have to lead as such. But you also have a people who are probably more tired than they've ever been, but also more flexible than they've ever been. And you take into account all of those things. And I believe that change in the church is more possible now than it was two or three years ago. You started off the time talking about uh, lead measures to pay attention to. And I think for a lot of pastors, oftentimes we look at church size, um, the growth of our worship uh, attendance as our primary indicator for health. Uh, but for churches that, you know, they're not seeing explosive growth, uh, let's talk about the health question. Like, what can leaders use to tell that their church is healthy if they're not seeing explosive uh, attendance growth? Yeah, so one of the things that we did uh, at West Bradenton is we printed off all the names of our people, and we track attendance in our groups. We don't track them, you know, I've heard these real scary stories about churches with facial recognition and knowing that you're there and all that. I don't, I don't know that that's true. That maybe just more like crazy rumors, but we don't do any of that. We don't know who's there, what week in worship. Uh, but we do know um, who's in a group. So we just did a quick study. How often are they coming? About 50%. So our people in groups are coming one out of, every other week. And that means our people in worship are probably coming one out of four weeks on average. It's a real rough estimate. but our goal in 2022 is just to get people there one more week a month. And we're going to tell them that. Mm. Just say, yeah. hey, guys, um, you're coming. Get your calendars out. Just look at the last three months. How many weeks were you here? How many weeks were you not here? No judging. I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. Just, this is just be real. And they're going to you know, look at the Sundays well, about half the time or about 25% of the time. All right. You're here 25% of the time. You're here one out of four weeks. Let's get it two out of four. You're two out of four weeks. Let's get it three out of four. So um, that will help attendance, by the way, because if you move people from every other week to three out of four weeks, um, that's an increase of 50% in your attendance. Um, now, I'm not here to play gimmicks with numbers, but the person that's coming more often is that's like the person that's exercising more often, right? They're just, it's just good for their soul. Um, and, and, and so that's one way. Uh, another way is, Let's move uh, worship attendance as a secondary metric and not a primary metric. So it's still something you need to watch. It's still something you need to be concerned Boy, about. That's, that's a big deal, though. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm buying what you're selling, but, I mean, that's been the metric. Of course. And COVID seems to have disrupted that. So, so you're saying it's not it's a secondary. It's still a metric. So how do you weigh it in? What does that look like? It's still critically the, important. Like, it's still something I track weekly. It's not something yeah. to ignore. The, you know, the, right. the people that just want to ignore it, I'm like, you just don't, you don't want accountability. You know, if, right. if you're going to completely ignore who's there and who's not there, you just don't want accountability. Um, so I would say track it just like you always have, but follow the things that lead more than lag. That, that was what I was getting at earlier. 
So yeah, what leads? The lag is people showed up today. Well, what got yeah. them to show up? How many phone yeah. calls did you make? Are you following up with the guests? How many guests end up in a new members class? That's a really good question. You have all these guests. Yeah. You, have, you have names. They, they give you their information. How many of them ended up in a new members class? Most churches couldn't even answer that. You know, we found out ours was um, like 10%. So we, oh, started, really? wow. we started going, okay, we got 90% of our guests that never attend a new members class for whatever reason. We have got to push that more. We have got to get them into that membership class because our assimilation is like 80, 90% if they go through the class. So find those things that you, you know, you're, you're, you're lacking in. It doesn't have to be attendance. Let's, let's ask some different questions. How many people are involved in groups? One of the stickiest ways to keep people in the church. It's just to get them faithful in a group, whatever that group may look like, whatever structure it is, whatever the purpose of the group is, they're there with their people. So I would, I would say, um, how many phone calls you're making? How many invites you're making? How many guests are going into a new members class? How many people are getting into groups? These are the things that I would say are actually more important now than actual attendance because the attendance will lag, will follow these lead metrics, if you focus on the attendance will happen, if you focus on the lead metrics. Yeah. And, and part of the challenges is when and where, you know, the big conversations so many pastors are having now is what percent are you back? And it's funny because, you know, we, we probably didn't like when people were, you know, strutting around their attendance numbers, but the percentage numbers seem like a better conversation. Yeah, it true. is because we're all dealing with what this looks like on the other side. So, um, and changing the scorecard wrote a book with his dad, Transformational Church, on that. Just wanted to work in your dad a little bit just because I haven't seen him in forever. Though I will tell you, and my Facebook memories are trip to the Alabama game 13 years ago. <laughs> wow. When he, I know, he shows up on my Facebook memories, and it's it's a young version of your father and a younger version of Ed Stetzer going to an Alabama game where I where I met Bart Starr, but let's not talk about that. My dad, my dad um, I assure you, I assure you, Ed, he has very vivid memories of you. Yes. Oh, that's that's truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and vice versa, might I add. So what, as you look to the future, you know, part of what your dad and I love to do at Lifeway when we were there, along with Eric Geiger and others, was talk about, could we, could we, could we think about where we're going to be in a few years from now? Um, and what, in your view, what's the greatest challenge to growing churches in the coming years? What are those challenges going to be? Easy. A lack of evangelism. Okay. A lack of outreach a lack of an outward movement. And hear me out. I am not one to say let's neglect this discipleship at the at the you know, expense of evangelism. And in fact, I think those two things are very much intertwined, and I don't like the distinction so much. But we have got to get people sharing their faith. We have got to get people out there showing Christ, living Christ, um, digging into the community, digging into the neighborhood, uh, just knowing your neighbors. Oh my goodness. Just, just know your neighbor. Like you have people living next door to you. Do you even know who they are? When was the last time you took them a meal? When was the last time you invited them over? I mean, we have completely lost sight of this in the church. God has given every church an address, and that address is not an accident. God has sovereignly placed churches in neighborhoods and communities, whether it be rural or urban, and you're there for a reason. You're a kingdom outpost for a reason. Who are those neighbors? Who are you supposed to reach? And we have just lost sight of that. And so we got to get our people equipped in evangelism. We got to get equipped people in methods of outreach. We got to get equipped people in hospitality. One of the most underrated spiritual gifts right now is the gift of hospitality. Nobody's shown it. 
And boy, the yeah. church would shine if we would just show hospitality to the community. So outward focus. What's the big thing? Outward focus. You can you can say that's outreach. You can say it's evangelism. And I know that there's some theological um, differences there. I, I, I'm just going to summarize it all as, as an outward focus. It's not about you. It's about reaching the neighborhood. Love it. Mm. That's a good word. We've been talking with Sam Rayner. Be sure to check out his new book, The Church Revitalization Checklist. You can learn more about Sam at samrayner.com. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. If you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. You can find this podcast as well as other great Christian podcasts on the Faith Play app available at Apple and Android. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.